government is hoping public transport changes will resolve driver shortages, reduce emissions and improve timetables. Under a new model called the Sustainable Public Transport Framework, announced by the government today, councils will soon have the option of owning and operating public transport. It replaces the public transport operating model introduced by National in 2013. The Transport Minister, Michael Wood, told me what he thought was wrong with that scheme. That it's had a persistent effect of driving down bus driver pay and conditions to the point where we have an acute shortage of bus drivers and services being cancelled every single day. So the reform that we're making will create a more sustainable public transport network. It'll prioritise bus driver terms and conditions, the need to achieve mode shift and emissions reductions, and the need to decarbonise the public transport system. What it will also do is give councils greater flexibility over the ownership and operation of public transport services so that they can design those services to best suit their communities. In terms of creating more flexibility, I did want to ask you about on-demand services. What does that enable uh, for for users as well as uh, for the companies that will be rolling these out? Well, on-demand services are a relatively new form of public transport service that have been trialled at a number of locations around the country. Probably the most well-known is Timaru. And and the on-demand services generally involve smaller vehicles, often an app-based service, and people can effectively arrange for relatively local pickup, potentially on their own local street corner. And so there's there's mounting evidence that they could be a good addition to the public transport system, particularly in smaller centres and particularly as a way of connecting people to really high frequency services. But currently they're not covered by the public transport funding model. So what we're creating through this reform is the ability to bring those services in so that we can provide the financial support to them in the same way that we do to other public transport services. Looking to mode shifts as well, obviously that being one, but getting people out of cars and and, uh, using bikes and those sorts of things. So could councils also potentially run their own fleets of e-scooters or or e-bikes and are they prevented from doing so uh, at the moment? Uh, In terms of micro-mobility options such as e-bikes and e-scooters, they're not necessarily covered by uh, the public transport funding framework that we're dealing with here, but there aren't any particular restrictions on councils looking to operate those services if that's something that they found to be useful. To to date, those services have tended to be provided by uh, private providers who have come in and provided them, Uh, but there's nothing that I'm aware of that would prevent councils from taking a more active role there if they felt that that was useful. And I guess that's a principle that we're trying to apply to public transport services here. We currently have a very ideological model where effectively public transport services can only be provided by um, uh, contracting them out to the private sector. We're saying let's give councils the ability to make their own choices there and potentially to have a mixed model, depending on what's best for their communities and what they want to see delivered. Are councils up to the task, though, in terms of uh, taking these services in-house, considering the amount of pressure currently on local government? Well, that will be for councils to determine themselves. That's the key thing about the model that we're putting forward. The current model effectively dictates that services have to be contracted out. We're saying let's give council the the ability to make that call depending on what's best for their communities. And they'll have to look at what their priorities are, what their resourcing capabilities are, and make those decisions over time. I expect that there'll be a range of different options that that, um, uh, eventuate as a result of that. 
but it's not just about the operation of services as well. It's about some quite critical questions around the ownership of public transport infrastructure. So, for example, we've had a number of councils say to us that the current model, whereby all of that infrastructure, things like the depots, the buses, and as we look to electrify the fleet, the charging infrastructure, if they're all owned by an incumbent operator, it potentially creates really big barriers to entry for others to come in and potentially offer different services. So that's another um, area that councils will have greater flexibility in. They'll be able to look at whether it's appropriate for some of that infrastructure to be publicly owned uh, to enable greater options in the area. Again, we're giving councils the tools and then they'll decide what's best for their communities. Mm. In terms of the cost here, Minister, what will these sorts of changes mean for the overall cost of providing public transport, but also most importantly, users? Uh, currently, obviously, there's been huge uptake and it has been helpful for many whānau of having that half-priced uh, public transport until uh, early next year. So looking at cost, how much will these changes have an impact on that for the longer term? Mm. Well, good news. As of this week, uh, Auckland bus services for the first time since August last year have uh, passed 1 million trips per week. And we've had the highest overall public transport volumes around the country since August last year as well. So we are seeing some recovery, but we're still below 2019 pre-COVID levels. In terms of costs in the system, uh, the objective here is to support more people onto public transport over time. We have to do that if we want to decongest our cities and reduce down emissions. And that is going to require increased investment from local government uh, and from Wakakotahi and the government over time. So we're really clear that, that that's going to need to happen. And we've started to make those investments through Budget 2022 this year. In terms of fares and what uh, uh, customers pay into the system, Look, we've been very clear here that we need to drive mode shift. We need to support more people onto public transport. We're looking at targeted initiatives such as the Community Connect card, which we've funded permanently to give half-price public transport to people on low incomes. I don't foresee a direction whereby we are looking to increase uh, the fares that people pay across the system because in, like, in all likelihood that would run contrary to our objectives of increasing patronage. Looking at the emissions reduction here, do you, do you know and what advice have you been given on how much that will impact uh, reducing emissions, the, these, these particular changes, uh, especially around the, the mode shift, the, the, the goals of mode shift? Mm. Well, these changes are a part of a, a broader suite of measures which are aimed at increasing mode shift, getting more people onto public transport by providing the viable options. Um, it's difficult to kind of break it down and say, well, what specifically will the emissions reduction impact be of a policy reform like this? But we do know that particularly in urban centres and growing towns, the more people that we can shift onto public transport, that provides a, a huge benefit in terms of reducing our emissions across the system. And that's something that we're really focused on. But it's going, it's going to take a whole range of levers. You know, if you want more public transport services, you've got to have the drivers to be able to deliver them. So you've got to address the wages. Um, if you want the buses themselves to be low emission, you've got to invest to make sure that we've got um, zero emission buses. If you want people to be able to access the services, you're going to have to put money in to make sure that there are more frequent services in the right places, which we did through the budget this year. So it's a whole range of initiatives that have to come together to give the people these cho give people these choices so that more people use public transport.
Just in terms, going back to the questions around councils, you know, being able to, to own and operate these services in-house, I just do want to reiterate, um, you know, even just with the local government elections, we're having quite low uptake of people wanting to be on the boards in the councils. Uh, and there is, they're kind of at a bit of a crisis point at the moment in terms of local government. And you said that the communities um, will know themselves what they need for their communities. But we've seen that fail time and time again. I mean, how confident are you that these sorts of changes and other changes and other levers, as you as you mentioned, will ensure councils can make those right decisions for their communities? I'm very confident that by giving councils greater flexibility to plan and deliver public transport services, that there'll be better outcomes for communities. Let's just remember that public transport is a pretty basic and important public service. Uh, to be delivered to the public. Yet the previous model effectively made it entirely a commercial operation. That is what has led to the current problem we have where services all over the place, including my own bus route down Dominion Road, are getting cancelled because we don't have enough drivers. So I'm very confident that having a wider range of objectives, including focusing on driver terms and conditions, and giving councils greater tools to plan and deliver the services, is going to be positive. And I I do trust councils in this area. They do know what the needs are in their local areas. And I think what we'll see is some innovative thinking coming through. And it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. The way that councils generally work is that they break up public transport routes into what they call units, and then they tender for them. It's entirely possible under this model that a council could choose to tender to the private sector some of those units, and then have some other units where they want to pursue some more innovative public transport models and look to do those in-house. So I think this will unlock a whole range of um, different and innovative options that will improve public transport services for people. Mm-mm, let's hope so. Hey, Minister, sorry, just while I've got you, just as a, as a former, what, what do you make of the allegations of bullying inside the Labour caucus currently? Well, look, I, I've been um, a, a Labour MP for nearly six years, um, at a range of levels from being the most junior backbencher in the caucus, uh, right through to the current role that I have. That is not something that I have ever experienced or ever seen. Uh, When these issues get brought forward, though, you take them seriously, you behave with empathy, you sit down, you get the facts on the table and you deal with them, and that process is underway. Is it having an impact on the mood in the Labour Party currently? Oh, look, our mood is very positive and it's focused on delivering positive reforms like the one that we've just been spoken about. That's our job for the people of New Zealand. You need to look outwards and focus on those things rather than inwards. It is a bit of a distraction, though. Oh, well, um, if you're easily distracted, I suppose it is. Look, you have to deal with these issues, as I say, empathetically and professionally, but you've got to focus on the job that you're there to do. And that's what we're doing. That was Transport Minister Michael Wood.